This episode is sponsored by Audible, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash serial spoiler. We're also sponsored by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash serial spoiler and using the promo code serial spoiler at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Slate's Serial Spoiler Special. I'm Slate Senior Editor Gabriel Roth, and joining me from our DC studio is Slate's Words Correspondent Katie Waldman. Hi, Katie. Hi, Gabe. So this week's episode of Serial turns out to be the finale of Season 2. And as such, this is the finale of Season 2 of the Serial Spoiler Special, the podcast on which, as I'm sure you know by now, Katie and I go deeper into the show's themes, explore its characters and situations, and look at the ways in which the podcast reverberates in the world. So it took us uh, seven minutes into this episode of Serial to find out that this was going to be the last installment of Sarah Koenig and company's retelling of the Bo Bergdahl story. Uh, in that sense, it was quite a departure from season one, where the, the finale was teased way ahead of time and, and wildly anticipated and, and uh, salivatingly received. Uh, so how did you feel, Katie, being blindsided by the fact that the story was about to end instead of uh, having a chance to prepare? Well, I think uh, Blindsided is a great place to start. It was a surprise. I do wonder if there was something tactical in the way that they, instead of, as you said in season one, uh, giving us lots of time to sort of gnash our teeth and wonder and and project into the future, um, they sort of slipped into this finale um, by a side door. And I I think that probably has to do with the fact that we didn't really get any uh, hard and clear answers uh, for this season. So I I can see why they would do it. They wouldn't want to build it up and then sort of have the air leak out of the balloon in a disappointing um, way. That's certainly not an experience that they're familiar with from the past, obviously. (laughs) Of course not. Uh, How did you feel? I went in a different direction. I made the assumption, and I don't know, but I made the assumption that rather than having set up this inconclusive ending and then wanting to um, spring it on us, uh, that they had kind of run out of gas. I'm not confident that the producers of Serial knew when they were beginning work on this week's episode that it was going to be the last one or or that they knew when they were finishing last week's episode, let's say. Um, they, they teased the subject matter of this week's episode. They let us know that we were going to be finding out about the question of Bo Bergdahl's responsibility and, and whether any U.S. soldiers had died in the search for him. But they didn't let us know that it was going to be the ending. And maybe that's because they didn't know until they got there. Uh, and they realized, gosh, I'm not sure that we have another one of these in us. To me, the episode was divided pretty neatly in two, um, with most of the episode being a somewhat, and I hesitate to use this word, I'm sorry, but a somewhat boring um, <laughs> exploration of of this question that seems a little bit peripheral to me, which is who actually uh, died in the search and recovery efforts for Bo, because it, it seemed to me that the, the point is that people were put in harm's way. And if you're going to talk about culpability, the question isn't like who actually died, but, you know, who was asked to do what and should they have been asked to do it. And of course, it's it's horrible and much worse if people actually do die, but I don't think that affects sort of the ethical calculations here. 
I like that way of demarcating the episode. Um, let's talk about then that first segment, which specifically addresses kind of a narrow question. And the way the producers resolve that question is to say, well, in the end, it's really impossible to know. There's no specific case in which there's a soldier who was on a clear mission that was only about going to a particular place to rescue Bo Bergdahl because it was believed that he was there and then that soldier gets killed. There's no uh, cases like that. On the other hand, there's two ways of looking at it, right? Because one of them is, well, maybe it, it taxed the military's resources in a way that uh, meant that they couldn't protect soldiers properly or, or put people in jeopardy who wouldn't otherwise have been in jeopardy. And then the other way of looking at it is the kind of butterfly flapping its wings in China way, where, you know, if we hadn't been doing this, then we wouldn't have been in this particular place when this particular bomb went off, which is one of those sort of late night dorm room pot smoking morality questions that I, I, I don't know how much there is to say about it with any kind of seriousness. Like a, a theater of combat is going to be complicated and there are going to be a million things going on. And in any individual's death in, in that kind of situation, you could point to a million butterfly wings that flapped or didn't flap that led up to that exact moment. But when you go to war, as Sarah Koenig basically points out, you are inviting those sorts of events to happen, even if you don't know specifically what's going to trigger what. So I, I feel like the, the question of, you know, specific culpability for individual deaths got a little muddled in this episode. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. The sort of the clearest uh, sense that emerged for me was Bo Bergdahl as a variable among many, many variables and all of them working in concert and all of them very difficult to predict or control. It felt to me as though they were preoccupied with this question because some military veterans and I guess political people have really been pushing the line that there are these specific six soldiers who died because of Bo Bergdahl, that he's responsible for these six named individuals' deaths. Uh, and and I guess Serial pretty convincingly debunks that argument, but it also seems like, you know, I wasn't aware of that argument as someone who followed the Bergdahl case in, in a sort of ordinary reading the newspaper way. Um, it, it seems like a long way to go to debunk the argument on the part of a few military veterans, activists. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that it goes a long way towards explaining why I felt sort of not bored, but at sea um, for a lot of this episode, just wondering where all this information was pointing. So then the episode sort of hinges on this distinction between blame and punishment, where Bergdahl's now awaiting trial and, and it's a question of whether he deserves to be punished any more than he's already been punished First of all, what do you think? How, what do you think Bo Bergdahl deserves now? And what do you think uh, um, the military should be doing? Oh, gosh. Well, I feel a little hesitant to be judge or jury in this case. But I guess I can see how, according to a very specific and isolated uh, set of rules in context, um, you know, he violated particular rules and probably there are punishments that flow from that um, that I guess you could call just according to the rule book. But I mean, obviously, I think it, it, it would be very surprising for anyone to listen to this season of Serial and not feel pity and empathy for Bo Bergdahl. Um, and I, I'm certainly still of the 
opinion that he spent five years in Taliban captivity and does not need to serve or put in any more time, I think. I'm, what What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's I tend to be pretty soft on crime in general, <laughs> but uh, it's it's hard to. And as we've said before, both of us is coming from a civilian perspective, and so the particular sort of horror of the crime of desertion and and the accusations of treachery um, are maybe a little remote to us. They, I, I guess they are to me. And and as I've said before, I'm pretty confident that if I had been on that base and I had been bold enough, I I would not have stuck around either. Um, so it's hard not to sympathize and it's certainly, it's hard to, to be glad at the fact that he's facing possibly five more years of confinement, especially since it's been suggested that the army was preparing to be lenient with him until they found out that he'd cooperated with the filmmaker, Mark Bowl and with the producers of Serial and that to some extent, the reinvigorating of the army's prosecution against him may be in response to his, you know, going public and talking to the press and making a deal out of this. Um, that seems like, God, what a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And I guess that also... Uh, that would sort of reinflame all the anger because it would announce him not as a, a member of the team, but as an other, an outsider who's willing to to go to the civilian population with what he knows about the army or what he thought he knew about conditions of the base. A part of the episode that seemed powerful to me was near the end, we learned that, you know, 900 people have, have deserted. And in the course of the Afghan war, I think I'm getting that right. And there was a guy who instead of who did basically exactly what Bergdahl did, but then instead of getting picked up by the Taliban, he gets picked up by the Afghan police and, and returned to his unit. And then they say, oh, God, this kid is in trouble. We should send him home. And he gets a medical discharge. And that, to me, is sort of more powerful than the investigation of whether, you know, did anyone in the U.S. Army die as a result of Bo Bergdahl's desertion? Well, probably not, but maybe, but we'll never really know. What we do know is, you know, because he had this moment of bad luck, he, what was clearly a medical episode, gets treated as a criminal act and a political episode. Yeah. Uh, Gabe, what did you think of the point in the episode where we heard from Bo again, when he remembers uh, coming out and looking up at the stars? I, I feel a bit of a cynic to say this, but my response to that was, oh, I guess they decided this was the best piece of tape they had for an epiphany at the end. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, maybe it's because I am on a podcast where I talk about their choices every two weeks, which is probably not the, it doesn't make me the most receptive um, audience for their podcast. But uh, it didn't seem to go anywhere except to provide, you know, a, a last little snippet of his voice, the uh, last moment of the presence of this sort of protagonist of this weird investigation that we've been doing. Um, and a moment of sort of poetry. It made me think, well, in the end, maybe they were doing the best they could with material that didn't turn out as well as they had hoped. Yeah. I mean, to me, it kind of reminds me of whenever you're in like a college poetry class and the last line of every poem is like the moon. But a part of me actually did find it pretty moving. Um, not so much the stars themselves, but just the idea that the zooming really is eternal. Like you could keep zooming up and up and up until this entire story, this entire season is completely insignificant. Um, and I just thought that was like a nice 
humble uh, note to to throw in our bouquet of notes here. And also something that was a little bit ironic because you hear Bo supposing that, you know, he's too small to really uh, make a difference in the grand scheme of things. And obviously events in his life have proved otherwise. So let's talk about this season as a whole. What did you think of Serial Season 2? It's like an ice cream flavor that is, let's say you prefer chocolate to vanilla. but you I do? Get, yeah. But let's say you get something that's vanilla-based, but it has delicious chocolate chunks in it. Like that, to me, I felt like sort of the everyday material of Cereal Season 2 was perhaps more vanilla than chocolate. But there were some great gooey chocolate chunks. Um, certain episodes that seemed really brilliant and informative. And I do appreciate what the show was going for, raising all these questions about these wars that I don't think we as a culture have even really processed um, fully yet. I'm actually not sure that in the same way that uh, the wars have not been processed, I'm not sure that Serial has quite processed its own material for season two. But I'm going to kick it back to you. Did you have a more articulate and coherent theory of this season? Well, I think yours was a characteristically glass half full evaluation. Uh, And I think I probably am looking at the same glass as you and and mine is going to be characteristically glass half empty. (laughs) I certainly agree that there were episodes, especially uh, the last couple before this one, um, that were really fascinating and that taught me a lot and held my attention. and, And certainly the whole thing is the result of really interesting reporting and it shines a lot of light on a situation that had been, you know, very murky and and confounding. Um, And yet at the same time, I kept waiting for the show to figure out where it was going or for me to figure out where the show had figured out that it was going. And and, um, I, I, I don't think that ever happened. Telling a story and investigating or reporting are two different things. And we're accustomed to serial storytelling. Like we're, we're accustomed to, you know, a show that ends on a cliffhanger and then the events pick up in the next episode. Um, but this is not that. This is we get some information and we dig a little more and we get some more information and we dig a little more. Um, and that doesn't quite feel like a serial to me. Uh, it feels more like being part of a repertorial process where, you know, there's a reason that ordinarily a journalist does all their reporting first and and then presents us with a a finished, assembled report. At the same time, I just want to say, this is a noble failure, trying something new and and letting it unfold in public in an extremely high-wire situation when there's a lot of attention on you is is a brave thing to do, and, and it paid off in certain ways, and even if it didn't, then it's a, it's a great thing to try. I agree with you. I think that the problem here is not in individual moments so much as in the shapelessness of the entire project. Like, it, it almost felt to me like this is a story that is a big quilt that is spread out on the ground. And every episode is like the, the show producer is just randomly picking a patch on the quilt. And like, now we'll be here and now we'll be here. And there's no reason why one patch comes after the other. It felt chaotic. It felt random. And that doesn't mean that the stuff wasn't interesting. It just never answered the question of, like, why it was in this particular podcast, I think. Like, I don't think that this is a podcast about Bo Bergdahl is specific enough of an argument uh, to justify a season of storytelling. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. 
This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash serial spoiler and browse the over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash serial spoiler. That's audible.com slash serial spoiler and get started today. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. If you're interested in more American military intrigue, you might consider The Pentagon's Brain, an uncensored history of DARPA, America's top-secret military research agency, by Annie Jacobson, the true story of the Defense Department's most secret, most powerful, and most controversial military science R&D agency. Start your free trial today by going to audible.com slash serial spoiler. I simply have no choice but to ask you to compare um, the sort of the show's ambivalence around um, whether Bo Bergdahl is culpable and should be punished further and, and whether he's a victim or, or a culprit um, and the ambiguity around the end of season one and, and the question of the guilt of Adnan Saeed. When we put those two things together, it looks like Serial is very concerned with some set of unanswerable questions. Yeah, although it's actually interesting when you put Adnan and Bo Bergdahl together, the thing that jumps out at me is not so much the ambiguity of the situations um, as this sort of similar contour where you've got a mystery or something that you will not know exactly what happened. And then you have the show pretty powerfully pulling for the person's uh, innocence. So um, so we don't know whether Adnan Syed killed Hyman or not, but we did hear Sarah Koenig editorializing that uh, there was not enough evidence to convict him. And here we have uh, Serial pretty powerfully uh, coming out and saying that we can't blame Bo Bergdahl for the deaths of any of these soldiers. And I do think that Given these thorny situations, the podcast has both times come to uh, a merciful, sympathetic stance. Yeah, that seems right. And it seems to me to spring from both a basic liberal compassion on the part of the producers that, that I think you and I probably both share with them, a basic sense that like it's hard to really want to put somebody in prison for a long time, um, but also from an epistemological um, humility, a sense that there's always a lot of stuff that we don't know and that in the presence of reasonable doubt, then the, you, you, you have to favor the defendant. And, uh, you know, that, that um, was explicitly the conclusion that they came to at the end of season one. But I think here as well, um, what we wind up with is a feeling that like, okay, there's this Bo Bergdahl case and it's confusing and murky. And we, at first... There's a lot that we don't know. And then we hear from Bo in, in his uh, conversations with Mark Bowl, And we hear from people who knew him and we hear what he has to say about why he ran off the base. And it, it seems like a slightly crazy set of reasons. And yet it seems to be a sincerely held crazy set of reasons. And we find out what the consequences were. And it turns out that they're hard to pin down. And in the end, when you get to know an individual and you get to know the complexity and, and unknowability of a situation, then you, you always wind up taking the compassionate, taking the merciful position. Um, and, and there's probably something sort of valuable about being reminded of that. 
Yeah, and it's also interesting. It reminds me of some of the criticism of season one, which was that Hyman, the victim, the murder victim, got obscured or sort of erased by this very attentive, almost loving portraiture of Adnan. And what's striking with this season is there is no Hymenly equivalent. Like, there is no concrete names, no soldier that Sarah Koenig can point to and say, this guy died because of Bo. And so I think it's actually kind of an easier proposition now uh, for the show to ask of its audience um, compassion for the protagonist. Yeah, it's it's really interesting about the, the, the question of the erasure of Hai Min Lee and then the, the absence of any specific victims and the, the efforts that the, the people who were mad at Bo Bergdahl went to to try to attach those six names, to try to get those six stars on the T-shirt. Um, because committing a crime in the abstract isn't something that gets anybody worked up. But when you have a specific victim, then our instinct for vengeance, our anger and and our punitive impulses um, get engaged. But I do think serials focus on the the people who did the stuff um, is the right way to think about these complicated questions. I do think it is interesting, the focus on the people who did the stuff, um, not only because of the journalistic exigencies of those are the people we have to talk to, um, but it does present a sort of philosophical or spiritual conundrum, which is like the people who maybe most deserve our sympathies are the ones who are absent from the narrative. Yeah, that, that's right, because serial is, is not actually a trial, even though it sometimes feels like one. It's a, it, it's an attempt at storytelling. Well, and the other thing I think is if it is a trial, which, as you said, it's not, but if it is, um, what is on trial is not an individual, mostly. Like for for Serial season one, it was the criminal justice system to some extent. And for this season, I would actually say it was the war, like the Afghanistan war. All of the um, ambivalence around what we were doing in Afghanistan uh, seeped into the story of Bo Bergdahl. And so really what we were asking when we were saying, well, should he have been traded for these terrorists? And um, should they have been over there? And should uh, the army restrictions have been more or less lenient when he was trying to sign up? Like all of that was just a way of asking, should we have gone to war? Was it worth it? I almost completely agree with you, except that I think the the Sarah Koenig and the other producers of Serial would probably shy away from the idea that they were posing a question as pointed as that one, um, because it's unsatisfying as an effort to relitigate the Afghanistan war, because it shows us some of the chaos that can happen. It shows us some of the costs. It doesn't show us all of the costs, and it also doesn't really attempt to present an argument for why we went to war in the first place. It sort of takes uh, the goals of the war of capturing Osama bin Laden and, and getting rid of the Taliban and, and al-Qaeda um, for granted as goals of the war. But elsewhere, the podcast seems to be making a more sort of existential war argument that says, like, this is the reality of war. War will always have uh, people walking off base. It will always have insane, absurd casualties. It will always have variables you can't control. And none of this is 
wrong, but it just uh, it struck me that the podcast sort of wanted to have its theory of war both ways. Like it wanted to rank wars and it also wanted to sort of have war as this monolithic, immutable thing that, you know, has these unalienable properties. Yeah, but I think that's basically an accurate way of looking at it, that you, you you have to say like, well, if if we have to stop Nazi aggression in Europe, then it's probably worth the costs. But it's also worth remembering that no war is clean and, and no war doesn't have this kind of brutality and chaos involved in it, um, including the ones that are, are morally justifiable. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I also wonder... If there was more of a sense that we were in a good war or a justifiable war, um, would Bo Bergdahl's scandal have reached the heights that it did? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, the, the way in which we prosecute wars nowadays, since Vietnam really, is strange. And I think we culturally, we just haven't sort of figured out how to think about this new model of war. We don't have conscription. We have a, a designated class of people who go to war. And the war takes place basically out of our field of vision. It's in the newspapers, but we, we don't really, it doesn't seem to be central to what the country is doing, even while it's going on. Uh, and then as the war is fought, it, it's still caught up in our absurd political process, which turns everything into bullshit. And so you have one kid who is not cut out to be on this tiny remote outpost in Afghanistan and he does something crazy. And uh, unfortunately for him, he, he he's in jail in the Taliban prison for five years. And then, you know, we can't just say, wow, poor kid and that's the kind of thing that inevitably happens when you need to recruit a lot of people and you lower your standards and you accept people who dropped out of the Coast Guard. We have to make it into some thing about patriotism or loyalty or treachery or or something because no event can now take place in America without it sort of getting fought over by our stupid political culture. Before we move on, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Casper. Don't go another year sleeping on an uncomfortable mattress. You deserve a good night's sleep, and now it's easy. Casper provides an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. These mattresses have just the right sink and just the right bounce, a result of the blending of two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. Even better is their risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. These are American-made mattresses that are affordable. $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price. Don't wait. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash spoiler and using promo code spoiler at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Maybe we could look ahead to season three, which we don't know anything about at this point. But do you have any advice for uh, the showmakers for season three? Whoa, super presumptuous. Am I that presumptuous? Yeah, probably. Yeah, go for it, um, Gabe. I know. Okay, I'm, I will answer that invitation to presumption, but I'm going to pose, I'm going to flip it back on you afterwards. Oh, shoot. Sorry. Um, if I were in the unenviable position of having to make serial season three with, with that much attention on me, um, I would be looking for a narrative rather than an investigation. Um, the tagline, one story told week by week, doesn't 
really describe either of the seasons of Serial that we've heard so far. Um, what we've heard so far has been one situation investigated in a deeper way or from a different angle week by week, which is obviously not as catchy of a tagline. Um, but I, I would like to hear one story told week by week. That sounds fair and good. I agree with that. Um, okay, so now I have to answer. You do. Um, I think I would advise them to pick a story that they had sort of the exclusive handle on. So so one thing that was different about season two um, from season one is that everyone knew the Bo Bergdahl story. And Mark Bull was the person who had access to Bo. And... So Sarah wasn't speaking directly to Bo, and there was a lot of information floating around that wasn't through Serial about this case. Whereas with Adnan, and we've talked about this before, uh, really, if you wanted to know what was happening in this story, you had to go through Serial. And I just think that sort of the power of that exclusivity uh, really helped the podcast in season one. And so I would hope that they set their sights on something that they could really own uh, for season three. I think that's great advice, and I'm sure uh, Sarah Koenig and her team of producers were not uh, particularly wanting much advice from us. But Yeah, well, hopefully they don't listen to the podcast, so <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, I, I, well, I think that's all we have time for. Um, Katie, it has been a great pleasure discussing Serial Season 2 with you. Um, I hope we get to do it again, either with Serial Season 3 or, or with some other piece of culture. Yes, write us suggestions if you have, if you're so masochistic as to want us to delve into other pieces of culture. Let us know what those culture uh, pieces should be. Thanks, guys, and thank you so much, Gabe. Thank you, Katie, and and thanks to everybody out there who listened, who sent us suggestions or questions or comments or invective. Uh, we appreciated all of it. That's it for this episode and this season of the Slate Serial Spoiler Special. It's been great having this conversation every week. And thanks to Sarah Koenig, Dana Chivas, and all of the rest of the production team of Serial who have given us this fascinating show to talk about every week. The Slate Serial Spoiler Special is produced by Sam Dingman. We're a production of Slate's Panoply Network. Laura Mayer is our managing producer, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Find us in iTunes and find more great Panoply shows at itunes.com slash panoply. 